Hello, you're listening to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here, and today it's yet another historic day for the Habit Helps podcast, because today I'm not joined by my dad. I'm not joined by Greg. No, today for the first time in the history of this podcast, we have guests that aren't on Creekside staff. It's an honor. <laughs> it's a big deal. And it's May the 4th. And it's May the 4th. <laughs> Maybe related? I'll let Dan talk about that. But we are joined by two Creekside veterans, Dan and Deb Goodson. Deb and Dan, how are you two doing today? Good. 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 We're glad to be here. Good. Yeah, doing well. Great. So before today, just one question. How many episodes of Habit Helps have you listened to? Not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> This will be our first. <laughs> I was hoping that we had just found our fifth and sixth listeners. That would have been exciting, but that's okay. That's all right. Well, we're glad to have you here. And, uh, you know, we'll probably get into this. It's better to produce things for tech than to consume things. So you're just living that out. Right. You're not just needlessly <laughs> consuming podcasts. You're, you're producing. You're makers. So that's a good thing. Well, today we're going to wrap up our series on the habits of biblical parenting. And uh, over the past four weeks, we've looked at four biblical principles for parenting, and we've looked at how to apply those. Today, we want to do a bonus episode and tackle what, uh, for a lot of people, is the most pressing parenting issue, and that's navigating tech with your kids. And I don't know about y'all, but I think most parents have this sense that they live in a very different world than the one they grew up in. Uh, in a sense, we're living in two different worlds. We have the physical world, and then we have this digital world, and in a sense, we're inhabiting them simultaneously. And that's a new thing for humans. And so how is it impacting us? How is it impacting our kids? And how is it impacting them spiritually? And we thought it'd be worth doing a podcast to discuss these issues. I thought Dan and Deb would be great to talk about that because you have been working in campus ministry for two decades. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two decades. And they've done it all, you've seen it all, uh, but you've also had a front row seat to cultural shifts and how tech is reshaping young people. Uh, so you're on the leading edge of watching those shifts. You're also currently parenting kids, kids in middle school, kids in late elementary. So you are in the tech trenches with the parents here trying to figure out uh, how to help put tech in its proper place with your kids. You've been Creeksiders for 14 years almost, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 14 years. So... Uh, you are dear friends of ours, so I thought these are the best people to talk to about this. So, that being said, uh, I'd love to just hear kind of reflections on what you've seen working with students. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you started in around 2002. It's 2022. A lot has happened technologically yeah. in the last 20 years. That is an understatement. So, just generally speaking, um, what shifts have you seen? How are students today different than 20 years ago? Yeah, it, it's remarkably different. And you could really even throw in our first, like the years that we were involved as student leaders. So back into the 90s, 1998 was our first year on campus. And, you know, where I went to school in Miami of Ohio, you'd go to the dorms and right outside the dorm, and it's just even hard to believe that this was there, there would be a directory with everybody's name, first and last, and the phone number that was the landline to their room. And maybe... had a cell phone, but the cell phone wasn't, you know, it was just for calling. Uh, There wasn't even texting. 
And so the way that you get a hold of your friend is you'd either call them from your dorm room or you'd go over to right in front of their dorm, look them up on the directory that was right there that everybody had access to and call them. And if they weren't home, then you didn't know where they were. <laughs> and good luck finding them on campus. Um, it wasn't until, you know, mid-2000s where majority of students had phones. Uh, but he, again, it was, you know, the texting was the T9 where you'd have to like, you know, it's been 15 minutes trying to write a two-line text. And so it really just wasn't the thing that at least my friend groups or in working with uh, college students, we just didn't spend a lot of time texting. In fact, the very first text I ever received was from Deb here, um, and I didn't know how she put words onto my phone. <laughs> I was just, I was blown away. It's magic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 2007, 2008, when the, the iPhone hit, for college students, it really wasn't that big and life-changing at the time because they couldn't afford it. Most students, uh, it wasn't until, and we were working at Berkeley at the time, many still had, they had phones, but they were the dumb phones. They weren't... Um, wired in all the time and around 2012 2013 we started to see more than half and then all of a sudden it just became everybody all the time um it was remarkable to see the difference in particularly symptoms of mental health with regards to anxiety and depression uh, in the last decade of our ministry just begin to it wasn't really something that was talked about all that often and then it became the conversation to the point where the university came alongside faith-based leaders and said, hey, we need help because we can provide certain things, but we can't provide like the spiritual component. And they were like, the university was pursuing us. And so that's how serious it, it was getting in that conversation. And then, you know, working in uh, the campus environment during COVID and all that, where all the more pressure on students and the social media in general, everything was just, it was so much more of a challenge. And to think 20 years ago, it would have been just really interesting to see what that shutdown would have looked like if people didn't have like virtual access. So, so there's like positives, absolutely, for sure. People were much more connected, um, but they're also connected in ways where, yeah, you just can't get unconnected at times. I think anecdotally, <clears throat> the, the students from you know the early two thousands, late nineties, uh, maybe had more social skills interacting in person together. And because there was no way to just um, ask someone out on a date on you know on online or on a text versus maybe AIM back in the day, but um, you know going to a group uh, a, a room of people that you didn't know back then, it seems like hey people are able to navigate that, able to kind of go up and talk to people. Later on, I would say about five to eight years ago or so, sometimes those times are very painful, you know, having to be the ones to always initiate, always to kind of help link um, people to talk with one another, to invite people over. And many of them really stumbled in regards to having in-person communication skills. So I think, you know, as, as students and people have shifted to more online um, readiness and, and even just freedom to speak their mind there, it's, it's also made maybe in-person communication worse off. I, you're mentioning dating, you mentioned landlines, and uh, I just remember in college, if, if you told a girl you liked her you know, in person, it was a perilous thing, but the other step, which was just as perilous, was to find her landline number and call her room <laughs> and talk to her, and, and, and bridging that gap, you know, like yeah. crossing that line was a big deal, and it was, I remember shaking with my hand, like thinking, <laughs> oh, I'm going to make the call, you know, and it was, uh, but you had to do it, there was no other way, and so the 
the material culture sort of pushed you in certain directions where you had to interact socially in certain ways. Yeah, or you might have to call them at home, and they if they weren't at school that week, they they went home with their family. Right. You might get their dad. Yeah. Mom you might dad. end up talking to somebody that oh, I was not ready to have that conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Any, any other thoughts on that? Just just what you've seen. I mean, anxiety, some difficulty interacting in person. Um, well, I think it's maybe not just um, lack of social skills, but I think moving towards isolation. And, you know, there's plenty of scientific research out there that really since 2012 when Instagram um, was bought by Facebook, became public, and that has shifted teenage girls in particular, and I would extend that to college age women as well as they got older. But there are levels of anxiety and depression, seeing their friends get together without them, seeing you know, the highlights of everyone's lives and whatnot, I think push people sometimes into this dichotomy of I'm not there, I'm not them, I, I am just alone and isolated. And so I think that caused rifts in various social groups in an increasing way, you know. And so some people weathered that well, I think, but others, I think, have found themselves a bit more isolated as the, as the years go by and not able to connect um, in meaningful ways with others. So, yeah, I think overall people have become more alone than ever before, even though they were more connected than ever before. Yeah, I think you see that play play out in um, the trends of the video games over that period of time as well. Oh. Uh, because in 98, GoldenEye was a Nintendo 64 game where people would gather in the dorms and play all together. And they're having fun. They're just like messing with each other in real life. But And then the action's happening on the screen. Same thing with Mario Kart, which was you know another really popular gather the group together sort of game. And then... Uh, the popular like Madden and um, NBA 2K, like those ones were also still like you're getting together, you're doing stuff. But as they began to get more networked in and you could play games against people that were not in the room with you, it started to become a lot more of the same thing where you're connected with others, but you're you're all, also isolated. And I think the other challenging thing about the video game world, particularly working with college students and guys, is that they're designed to keep you involved. They're designed to keep you invested and you keep advancing through and you create your own little kingdom in this game or you you basically do what you know as men and women we've been created to do we've been created to cultivate and um, bring order into chaos and these video games allow you to do that in a you know in a in a unreal setting and so you feel this sense of accomplishment that you have accomplished through the game that we've been designed for but yet it's not really happening in real life and so there, it's really interesting to see how that really has the video game industry has begun to recognize that people want to do this more when they feel like they're connected with their friends. And you don't have to be out in the real world to do that. But it's, it's pulling them away from a lot of other opportunities to grow and develop and holistic. We had many uh, female leaders over the years, student leaders, and very few ma male leaders. And often it was like, I'm too busy with school. I've got work going on. But we would know that there would be hours and hours upon, you know, all night long, you know, video game sessions. And so I think <clears throat> for for Christians and for non-Christians alike, I think sometimes for, for boys and then as they become men in college and maybe even beyond, but it is a real time suck in regards to other important investments um, with relationships, with ministry, with leadership, with opportunities that I think many missed out on because they were in the room playing video games. It's such a powerful simulation of reality in terms of what it's doing, even at the brain level, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's 
you have an illusion of progress, right? You're, you're, you're making levels, you're cultivating, you're creating, you're defeating things. Mm-hmm. And, and so all of these, you know, good desires that it's tapping into, it's tapping into in a simulation mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't actually impact the real world. And I remember I knew it was a deal, a thing that was really powerful in college when guys would miss finals. Uh, because they'd be playing World of Warcraft or something all yeah. night. And they'd yeah. be like, oh, you know, my grade's good enough in that class. I'm like, this is how much are your parents shelving out, you know, to go to a private Christian university and you're just going to miss a final for this? And that that's where it struck me for the first time. Oh, this is addictive behavior, right? Mm-hmm. This is what someone abusing substances would do, is miss major key moments in their life for this thing. Yeah. And I think what the challenge of, like, with developing brains is that, kids who get excited about these games they don't realize that the folks who are making them are designing them intentionally to grab their focus and they want to think about how can i keep this kid playing this game as long as possible and kids are just excited to play and have the opportunity and so realizing that there are actually there are folks out there who are getting paid to try to keep people distracted by these games and recognizing it's an uphill battle I mean, it's the same with social media. It's the same with um, streaming anything, Netflix and whatnot. And I think inherently these things are not bad or evil or wrong. And and I would not want that to be the message that we're saying is, you know, playing video games ever is terrible or social media is the worst thing ever. But... But actually, I think the the level of addiction is is very quick. And I think as adults, we can say, yes, we have all probably been kind of stuck in a, a spiral or rut of, of being addicted. And I think for us as parents um, and also as, you know, college leaders, but as parents, it's like we want our kids to have the best shot at success and um, long-term health and relationships that, okay, what does it look like to keep the the boundaries and the barriers higher as they are younger in hopes that they will navigate video games and social media and technology and streaming and all these other things that, you know, we're not going to parent them, so to speak, forever. There's a time where we hope that they will, you know, leave our home and, and live successfully. And, um, and so I think now it's like, okay, how do we, how do we keep the right checks um, in place for that? That's good. And yeah, let's, so let's segue into talking about parenting kids Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I mean, two questions come to mind. How is this impacting developing brains? But then, two, you know, we've already used sort of the framework of addiction to talk about some of these things. Mm-hmm. That just at a brain level, this stuff is designed to hook you. And with anything like that, as parents, we think with a substance or any kind of addictive thing, we would want to put guardrails on that mm-hmm. uh, just because a developing brain isn't capable of navigating that themselves. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, how is it impacting slash what boundaries have you found useful? And you can take that uh, wherever you want in terms of just navigating tech with young minds. Yeah, I think for us, we have been more cautious than not. And I think it's because we have we have read um, or watched or taken in enough research where we have seen not by our, um, you know, anecdotes, but rather what others have done to kind of support that <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, negative influences um, on all, all this tech that we want to protect our kids from. And so knowing that we have, um, you know, much of the chagrin of our middle school children, we have not gotten them cell phones yet. Um, I don't think that's the end all be all, but we have kind of said, you know, for this season, uh, we're going to hold off as long as possible. And at one point it was 16, then it moved to 15, and then now it might be high school, so we'll see. 
But um, but trying to hold off as as long as possible because every parent that we have talked to who has middle school age kids or even high school kids, they're like, wait as long as you can because the moment it, they get the phone, a lot of things change, you know. And so so we've kind of made that decision. Um, but we have given them iPads so that they can connect with their friends and to be in in texting conversations and to even play some games on their iPads and do their schoolwork and whatnot and some some school-oriented, you know, research or whatever. So I, I think we, we're trying to not be completely nothing. But, okay, what does it look like to to kind of hold off as long as possible? I think with regards to, like, video games and whatnot, you know, we both grew up in homes where that wasn't really a part of how we grew up. And so even though it's 30 years later, we kind of said, you know what, we don't really want video games in our home. And so it's okay if they play with friends and and um, and do that with others. But we've kind of said, you know, we're not going to buy a, a gaming system. And we've kind of talked about that over the years. There have been a couple weak moments that each of us have had. But because uh, we do have two boys. Um, but yep. we've we've said, you know what, we're not going to do that. So I think those are kind of just some basic guardrails that have allowed us to kind of live out some of these values. Yeah, we decided to get a puppy instead. It's a different kind of gaming system. <laughs> Keeps us just as <laughs> occupied, though. Yeah. Very real world, though. Um, you know, and an interesting thing about tech and developing brains and the difference between, I think, our generation versus the current generation of you know, college students and high schoolers, middle schoolers, is that I think we grew up with boredom in the sense yeah. that there was space where things weren't happening, but you were still living and you had to do something with it. And a lot of times, imagination and creativity are finding their real fertilization during that time. And you, you see, like, the kids being able to play with boxes or the story, like Calvin and Hobbes in his imagination. Like, would that happen if he had a cell phone? Like, no, he wouldn't. The, the entire premise of the book is him just kind of allowing his imagination to go wild because he doesn't have all the distractions of something, like, just constantly there for him to consume. And so he goes off and he kind of creates his own little world. And I, I love that about what childhood is. And I, I feel like for us, we, we try to protect that as much as possible. Because once you sort of allow them access, you don't go back. Because I know that's true for me. When I got a cell phone, all of a sudden, or when I got a smartphone, all of a sudden now, it's like I can check a sports score anytime I want. And I can read the recap of that sports score anytime I want. And then I can probably see highlights from that game anytime I want. And then I can go to the next game, and then and it's all of a sudden I like I have to have self control to then put the phone down, and I have lived half of my life without that sort of longer than half of my life without that sort of technology. So I have habits and skills that enable me to do that. For our kids, if they get a phone now, by the time they're thirty, they're going to have way more than half their life like with that technology and always having to deal with that temptation. They're going to be less skilled just naturally because they haven't lived as much of their life without that challenge. And so I think every day that we're able to hold off on that is like, okay, they got one more day to learn how to embrace this idle time and utilize it towards something that is productive. Um, and we, we want to be able to maximize that as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Andy Crouch says in his book, TechWise Family, that we give out here. And if you're a Creekstar and you want one, just find Greg, and he has a copy somewhere for you. But he, they, they didn't have a TV in their house growing up. And when they got one, when their kids were 10 or 11, not much changed 
because they had just become so habituated to living without one and being creative. And he, and he said, if you introduce tech at a later stage, uh, it, it has a fundamentally different place in the kid's life. And so I think a principle there for parents is just to think, what, when do we want to introduce what um, in their developmental process? Because if they're able to develop without it, they're going to, it's going to form them in a different way, depending on the, the place you, you kind of input it. So, yeah, no, it's good. And there's definitely different levels of, like, allowing for tech. Like, being able to text with friends or uh, school assignments anymore, you have to have access to being able to submit things online. It's just there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, and as we said, you know, some games are really fun to play with friends uh, that you're doing. But then there's social media, which is a whole different level of are kids ready for this sort of like pressure that social media puts on people? Uh, you're, you're, you're allowing for strangers to make comments on what you present. And is a young developing mind able to handle that sort of critique and criticism? And I think the, I think the studies are showing that teenagers really aren't able to handle that based on what we're seeing with anxiety and depression and in those age, age groups. Any other thoughts for you, Deb? Well, I was trying to pull up some actual stats, but I, I can't find it right now. Um, I think that there's been a lot of research for particularly age 10 to 14 girls um, regarding depression and anxiety related to increased levels of tech and social media, mainly social media. And I think um, it's obvious to me when we just see what it looks like when you know young girls are are consumed by what it is that their friends are doing and what they have and what's going on and to watching something outside in or when you're feeling nervous, you know, waiting for maybe someone after school to pick you up and instead of talking to the girl next to you or going up and having a conversation, pulling up your phone. And I think there's, there's these habits that we're, um, I think kids are learning that can be really dangerous as they get older. Dangerous maybe is a strong word, but not um, ideal for how do you actually move towards people? How do you, you know, ask questions regarding, hey, I saw such and such, you know, I would love to hear more. Mm -hmm. Conflict resolution, you know, starting relationships, um, conversations outside. And so I just think, okay, there's a lot of things that by withholding, at least increasing the guardrails, um, whether that be later or less time or more protected or watched, that we're able to help our kids navigate um, skills that we want them to have when they're 20, 25, and beyond, and to teach that while they're still in our homes, yeah. while they're still in middle school, still in high school. Because if kids do leave for college, there's a very short window from when you know they hit puberty to when they're out of your house that you even get to talk about, hey, how do you have conversations? How do you build relationships? How do you interact with others? You know, How do you have a conflict resolution conversation? You know, These are things that I think are very hard to learn. Um, if they're if they're if you're if you're not engaged in kind of what's going on as a parent, that's good. And I think you're if you're not learning that you're learning something else in terms of a habit of how to resolve conflict, how to do things. Mm -hmm. And if it's all mediated through tech, uh, when you get into in-person relationships and work in a marriage and a relationship and a friendship, mm. um, you're starting at such a disadvantage. Right, and it's it's um, really it's a habit of um, avoiding. And mm -hmm. it's a habit of just like moving away from instead of moving towards individuals in relationship. Yeah. 
Yeah, the things that stuck out to, to me as I was thinking about this question, I mean, I think the biggest thing for parents is to model a healthy relationship with tech for their own kids. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the studies, you know, 150 to 200 times a day, average adult checks their phone. Uh, that sounds like an addiction. And I think it's just being honest of how often do I go to the phone myself to soothe myself, to distract myself, because that's what I'm teaching my kids. And so that's a gut check for me, because I do that and trying not to do that. Um, I think using tech as a way to commune rather than to isolate. And so whenever we can, using tech as something to gather around, um, whether it's a show or something we want to enjoy together, rather mm -hmm. than a way to kind of isolate. And I see that with my own family. When we're all on our own devices, I'm like, mm, like uh, we got to put a boundary around this. We should stop this sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think making sure kids are fully known online so that there's no identity they could cultivate online that is, is um, um, discordant with their their in-person identity, right? So you just, you have all their passwords, yep. you know all their friends. There's no ability for them to kind of cultivate this identity apart yep. from who they are to you. Yep, and our kids know that they, what they are saying is they don't, privacy doesn't necessarily exist for kids in the same sense of like when we're parenting them and we want them to make wise decisions, we let them know, hey, we're going to read through this uh, because we want to trust you. Uh, we want to protect you. Yep. and make sure that you're making wise decisions. Yeah. No, that's good. So what do you think are the spiritual impacts of this? Because we've talked a lot about neurologically what's going on, and obviously we're, we're integrated, we're body, body, mind, soul, but in, in terms of how this affects kids' view of God, their view of their own identity in Christ, those kind of things, what comes to mind when you think about the impacts of tech? Mm -hmm. Well, when you think about experiencing the spirit-filled life that Jesus talks and describes about in John 7, just this idea of like this abundant life, do you, are you able to slow down and even stop to experience that if you're constantly wired in? If you're constantly checking for something else, are you slowing to actually recognize what's going on in your own heart, let alone uh, experiencing God's spirit um, moving in you? And hmm. I just think the idea of slowing is a completely very old biblical idea of like just slowing and resting and meditating before the Lord and tech runs in the opposite direction and and that's okay at times but if that's the constant only direction we're going in we're missing out on a lot of what it means to be human and just really experiencing the Lord in the slowness yeah I, I agree I I think I mean we're still trying to help our kids you know navigate how do you walk with God you know and they're young. I, I, I don't, um, I don't think our, our youngest, I think he's trying to walk with God, but you know, he's, he's nine. And so he's still figuring out, but I think in this really significant season of high school, middle school and high school, those are key years, at least, um, as parents that we have to play a role in their lives. I definitely believe that, that people can, can come to faith and, and start walking God post 18 and outside of our homes. They do all the time. Yeah. Yes. But as parents, like, I think that is just the, these six, seven years are just so crucial um, to what that looks like. And so I think it does mean as a family, even slowing down, you know, having time to talk, having time to, you know, we, we, we're not here yet, but I've heard about families that, okay, when we get home, we're going to put all of our phones in a basket and we're yeah. going to put that aside so we can actually converse with one another. And that might be spending some time studying the word or being in Bible study, whatever, but it also might mean um, just a sense of building relationship, building yeah. conversations of like, hey, how are you really doing? What's really going on? What are some things that are troubling you? You know, and I think 
in terms of mentorship or discipleship, as as we have done so many uh, for so many years with college students, I think with our kids, we're having these conversations now, the same ones where it's like, hey, what's really going on? And the only way that someone actually opens up is if they don't have their phone out, they're not distracted, they're not, you know, um, thinking about a thousand other things, but actually stopping and uh, engaging and maybe reflecting even, you know, so how can we do that in our homes? Um, yeah, we try to do that. And I think the next few years for us will be a lot more hopefully like that. Mm-hmm. The reality is also like tech actually brings some incredible opportunities um, that our kids uh, through just a, a music player can play some of the most incredible worship music and have just awesome times of um, connection with the Lord. Yeah. They can pull up, I mean, <laughs> you don't really have to memorize the order of the books of the Bible anymore when you have a Bible app because you can just go right to it. It's the table of contents and you can get it right there. But, you know, kids are able to um, access scripture, the whole of scripture right there quickly. And there, there's some really great things about it um, that we want to help them to see as well because yeah. their life is going forward. It is going to be tech. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's, it is going to be. And so helping them to navigate well and to see the positive tools that are there like help them to learn like hey this is here this is actually really great yeah yeah we cannot do a podcast in good conscience (laughs) about the dangers of tech without acknowledging the goodness of tech absolutely yeah um i think it's a matter of putting a thing in its proper place that's the term crouch always uses that Mm -hmm. that if something is easy and everywhere it it almost has a godlike quality to Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. and that's what we have to be worried about and then two, curating tech for our kids to show them these are the the really great things in terms of increasing efficiencies in life. I mean, I I just I can't imagine managing my money without tech. I mean, it's just revolutionized all sorts of things where you can you can habituate things in your life in a way you never could that mm-hmm. should be freeing up time for meaningful relationships, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the things that came to mind and and Greg uh, and I have spent a lot of time here at Creekside just talking about spiritual impact of tech, thinking about it. But I think. The few that that rise to the top, one, I think the ability to just release dopamine at any given moment and get a hit, it just it makes it a lot harder to process negative emotions and grief or uncomfortable truths mm-hmm. in life. And so, you know, the fact that on tech you can you can see a police shooting, which we weren't able to see before, right? And it's traumatic to look at, and then immediately have some funny meme come up as the next thing. That's there's something deeply unhealthy about that where you're just constantly being hit with new information, new stimuli mm-hmm. without being able to process mm-hmm. difficult things. And I think it keeps us from processing negative emotions in our own life and then bringing them to God, which is yeah. what the Bible would teach us to do. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we're not the first generation of believers that have to deal with this in in the same way. And you got to think about like when newspapers really were like, full circulation all out there all the time. Like now all of a sudden people are getting information and news from all over the world with all of this and they didn't have a way to really understand how to compartmentalize all that information all at once. Right. And yet the church was able to continue to move forward. And, and so we can look to past precedent of like, yeah. okay, we've been able to navigate this. This is a new challenge, but it's not a challenge that's like outside the realm of what humans have had to deal with with regards to how do we prioritize our relationship with God over object A, object B, object C? Right. Um, you know, it, the unique challenge, though, is that like just how random some of the some of what you can experience on social media or, or things like that could be. 
Yeah, the addictive power is, is different because yeah. even with a newspaper, it'll it'll kind of wear out <laughs> if you take it around everywhere. But right. uh, this thing doesn't. But no, you're right. We looking for the historical precedent is is helpful. I think the constant noise of tech makes it hard to be okay with silence um, and your own thoughts. Uh, the distraction, as you mentioned, just keeps us from meditating on the word, from letting it implant in us and really ruminating on it, like the Bible tells us to. Um, I think it does teach us, like you said, to, that it's okay to not be present with people. It's just the device counts as another person that can take your attention at any time. Um, yeah, the inability to deal with boredom. And then I would say the allure of social media, the, the big danger I see is it's a new form of Gnosticism, right? And one of the earliest Christian heresies and this idea that the body and the mind could be detached and that there's this deeper reality in the mind and that your body doesn't really matter. And, and to me, tech can mimic that powerfully where you can create an identity for yourself online, a perception of yourself uh, that has almost nothing to do with your embodied physical presence mm -hmm. and live this life in the, the digital world that you would never live in the physical world. And that is a powerful temptation, powerful temptation. You can be things online that you feel like you can't be uh, in your embodied, limited, finite existence. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I'd say those are <laughs> the spiritual dangers that I see that... that that make me want to disciple my kids in this and really just be discipled in how to put it in its proper place. And mm -hmm. my, my last thought, then I want to hear your last thoughts is just um, one thing I've heard the Amish do, which is interesting and not to say we all have to be Amish, but we could use a little more Amish thinking on this. Uh, one thing they do is they're not anti-tech. They will, they will take on new pieces of technology, but what they do is they discuss trade-offs with any new piece of technology that they take in. And so Basically, what does this give us? What do we gain? And then what do we lose? And if the losses outweigh the gains in their mind, they won't adopt it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if the gains do outweigh the losses, they will adapt to, to changing technology. And that's not to say we have to move at the speed of the Amish on this, but I think that practice, there's so much wisdom in that to say tech is all about trade-offs in life. Mm -hmm. And what are you gaining and losing by this piece of tech? And just being really honest about that is, and when you measure those things up, uh, are we, do we really, can we really be honest that the pros outweigh the cons? So that's, that's my last thought, but I want to hear your last thoughts here as we wrap up. Well, I think, you know, as we talk about discipling our kids, um, we want them to have every opportunity to walk with Jesus as much as we can possibly provide. And they are ultimately responsible for their own walk with Jesus um, before God. But as parents, we've been stewarded with a trust. And so, you know, our goal is to help them as best we can uh, before they exit the door of our house for that, um, not last time, but, you know, when they head off to, you know, what our society would say the next step in life of uh, stepping into adulthood, which, you know, we worked on the college campus for all those years in 18 to 22, the, we saw how hard it is to walk with Jesus when you are out of your parents' house and you're on your own with a lot of the same age people. And a lot of the same age people don't make great decisions a lot of times. And so you are trusting that the person that you sent out your door is able to make those good decisions. And so with regards to tech and thinking through, okay, it, 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 that season of life, so many things are happening. You're, you're making a decision on where you want to invest your efforts to study, which will go towards a vocation and a career. You're building relationships, which potentially could go with you the rest of your life. Uh, and you are, yeah, the, the, that time is so important. And so to be able to help them 
as best we can now, it means really having some uncomfortable moments of like, yeah, you you don't get a phone right now, at least in the conversation we're having with our oldest daughter, because we want something better in the long run, which is why we show her the articles that we're reading. We have her see the research. It's not that we're just being mean. We actually, we don't know what the studies are going to show about your brain development. And so we want for you when you're a fully functioning adult to be a fully functioning adult. Um, and so, yeah, just thinking through the long run, what does it look like for us to help our kids um, reach adulthood with as much of a chance to walk with Jesus as, as they can. I think I'll add to that and simply say, I don't think there, there's any clear cut right and wrong answer or perfect time or um, the, the right amount of guardrails. Um, I think there's, there's differences for every child and family and situation. Um, and I think maybe the principles that should apply are, do we, as parents know exactly what's going on um, with their use on computers and iPads and phones at any point, you know, whether that be our devices or, or their own. Um, are we helping them talk through identity crisis issues? Maybe not so much of differences online versus in person, but the amount of things that can cause them to be in turmoil because their identity is, is not securely in God and who he is and what he says they are, who he says they are. And, you know, being, I think, honest um, with our own struggles with tech and our own addictions and helping them see it's not this easy, clear-cut, hey, one plus one is two. Like, it's not that simple. It's much more complex and much more nuanced. And I think to keep the goal before ourselves and our kids of, okay, we want to live whole lives, fulfilling lives, meaningful lives, um, impactful lives, and that means continuing to readjust and reassess what each of our relationships with tech is. So I think it's, it's a, I think instead of rules, you know, we obviously have made decisions for ourselves, but I think more so principles of how do you, how do we, you know, particularly in the church, have a conversation of engaging with our kids on issues that they're talking about, they're doing there. It's, it's, it's here, you know? And so, you know, how do we, how do we help them to be whole themselves? Um, and I think, you know, our oldest is, is headed into high school and I think my hope for her is that she would know that her identity and her value and worth is not based in anything, whether that be her grades, her academics, her future vocation, the number of um, people that she would have as social media friends, you know, the number of text messages she sends back and forth, whatever it might be, all these measurements that are easy to say, okay, I, I got this many likes, whatever, or I got an A plus, whatever it might be like those things are not what ultimately is meaningful and what gives her value. And I think those are the kinds of conversations that are easier to have when, when we are honest with um, some of these negative influences that, that can come, you know, particularly in these middle school years when it's puberty, there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of emotions, and there's a lot of insecurity. So that's my last thought. Really good, and I think it, it does come down to biblical wisdom on this more than hard and fast rules and, and principles, yeah. and um, yeah, and being honest that we're always growing and adapting because tech is always growing and adapting, and and so it's something we're going to have to just keep navigating and keep talking about. You have done an exemplary job of doing that with your kids. Uh, we want to be like you when we grow up, except we're the same age, so it's good. <laughs> we want to just <laughs> we want to parent more like you in this area. So thank you, uh, Max. Thanks for get off social media and keep producing the show, Max. He's, uh, he's distracted. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but <laughs> we'll have you on the podcast at some point, Max. Do it more. 
You, you're, yeah, it's true. You've been on every one. You've made it happen. <laughs> but listeners, thanks for um, listening. Hope this series has been helpful to you. Uh, we'll be back again. I don't know. I'm going on sabbatical, and so we'll figure that out. Going to work on the habit of rest, and I'm going big, three months of it. So, uh, But Dan and Deb, really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks and, for having uh, us. Yeah, hopefully uh, get to have you on you again to talk about whatever at some point in the future. So, listeners, thanks. We'll talk to you again sometime soon. That's fun.